The Kern Institute Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Medical Education Matters. I'm Michael Brown. This episode is the last of the recorded conversations from our Collaboratories program spring event. The two groups featured here are led by PI's Bill Branch at Emory University and Sarah Schaefer at UCSF and Richard Green at NYU, and they discuss their programs focused on faculty development. We hope you enjoy hearing their presentations and the conversation. send things over to our next two groups who have all been thinking about uh, faculty development questions, uh, faculty of all different stages of their career and figuring out ways to help their advancement. And that's why I thought these two collaboratories would make a natural pairing. So without further ado, I'll turn things over to them. Well, I guess we're first on the program. I'm Bill Branch. And our collaboratory includes uh, Emory University, where I'm working with Corinne Abraham from uh, the School of Nursing, and uh, Harvard Children's Hospital with Beth Ryder, UCSF with Calvin Chow. And uh, we also have Indiana University and Deb Litzelman, who could not be with us today, nor Rich uh, Frankel. So this is going to be a conversation. We're not going to show slides, and we hope to involve the audience. Our project is focused on looking at the adult development of interprofessional faculty members, mostly in the ages of around 40 to 50. And uh, we're, we're really very interested in how people develop at this uh, later stage, we believe there is considerable development that continues to go on regarding whatever you want to call it, professional identity, character development, uh, values, relationships, and so forth. So we have designed an intervention that we think would have a maximum impact. It's a small group intervention, nine months with 18 sessions. And our fundamental theory is that we combine intensive, critical self-reflection using exercises such as uh, narrative writing with reflection, personal narratives with reflection, uh, in the group uh, and experiential learning uh, in which uh, s- some of the reflections are going to be applied practically to problems that we put forward or to experiences that one has. And in this way, anchor reflective uh, changes in a practical reality. So we view it as a, as a theory of stepwise change in which uh, each, uh, each level of reflection, there's applications, there's new thoughts, new reflections, new applications. 
that's what we do, and we've been doing this for quite a while. It goes all the way back to the 19, early 1990s uh, in the New Pathway at Harvard Medical School. But we've refined it a lot, and we're very interested in looking at basically what changes over nine months. I mean, we create what we think is an ideal learning climate, and we are looking for changes consistent with the theories of Keegan and uh, Mesero. That is to say, we're looking for changes in perspective, and we're looking for people to become more tolerant, more generous, more open, and more trusting in their relationships. So our research is focused on trying to measure one or another aspect of this. And uh, at this stage, I will say, this is rather laborious research. We don't have the results from the final results from the groups we've been doing with the current collaboratory. We are in the process of submitting a revised manuscript of results done just prior to this with a similar program and what we saw was an immense change in relationships and relational learning, which was basically pervaded the results of the qualitative study. Participants were uh, multidisciplinary, uh, they, well, multiprofessional. They were nurses, physicians, physical therapists, social workers, and pharmac pharmacists, and so forth. Uh, they changed their perspective towards working with each other, communicating with each other, and understanding each other. We do, we're now looking at this in one way focused on the question of whether there's some way to see a change in professional identity over the nine months. And you might say that's a pretty short time. Well, I, I think from early observation, Professional identity is not totally formed at the beginning. And this is such an intensive nine months that the professional identity may have an opportunity to develop more in a more sort of rapid fashion during this particular phase of someone's career. So we're looking at that. We're seeing some promising results, but we don't have a final answer. We do have results of a quantitative study where we applied the ISVS to see if attitudes towards working in an interprofessional group were changed. We predicted that they would not because of the ceiling effect. In fact, they did in a highly statistically significant way from the beginning until the end, improve, and again, showing that there's a lot of room for changes in people in the middle of their career. It also has led us to think that almost any positive sort of uh, scale that we might apply will probably show a change. So currently we're applying a scale of wisdom, 
in a scale of compassion, and, and we're looking at changes in values. And we, we're pretty optimistic that almost any of these positive uh, features are liable to change. Let me uh, stop and see if my colleagues, I have three colleagues here, would like to jump in. Uh, Beth, would you like to uh, say a few words from your perspective? Yeah, I'll just spend four or five minutes and just share with you um, an impactful outcome uh, with a participant in our program and how that relates to our curriculum. And as Bill had said, we do narrative and reflection, narrative and appreciative inquiry types of reflection. And so uh, particularly at the beginning and the end, but also throughout, uh, we use many other strategies as well. But an important piece is writing, sharing, and reflecting on people's stories. And so this includes deep listening, which we actually identify that as a concept, uh, appreciative and empathic reflection, not fixing, but changing things unless asked for. And so we use the narrative to help participants hear more fully and think more deeply about what they've experienced. So just very briefly, we had a prompt um, this was in the beginning, we'll do this again at the end, for them to think about an incident or a circumstance in their life as a clinician, teacher, or learner that stands out for you as being emblematic of your professional development goals and values, and which have evolved over time since they entered their profession. So I'll share with you briefly, um, our group has five physicians, four nurses, uh, some social workers, and a dietitian. And one of the physicians shared her story, and it was about a very difficult resuscitation of a 22-week-old premature baby, which is sort of on the edge of viability. And four people had tried to intubate this baby during this resuscitation. These are very skilled people uh, in the hospital. And it was very, very difficult. They finally got this baby intubated. Everybody was quite worn out. Uh, the baby lived at least at that time. And so she noted the physician telling the story is that after the code, everyone dispersed. You know, people went back to work. They didn't really talk about it. She herself went to talk to the mother to sort of update her on where things were at. And then someone looked at her and said on the team, are you okay? And she felt that that made her feel she was not alone. And it was very interesting as we debriefed this discussion after people gave their appreciative inquiries, some of the comments were, um, you know, one of the nurses said, well, the nursing staff doesn't appreciate how hard it is for physicians. And I have found that a number of times in other programs as well. They don't appreciate each other's pain and difficulty and they should debrief together. And another person said, it's really important to be kind, to reach out to the person, and that they reflected on the fact that our, if someone asks you, are you okay? It opens the door to reflection. And they said, everybody is trying to do the impossible. So I'm gonna give you two very brief quotes. Uh, at the end of our sessions, we do a one minute reflection. They write down what has stood out for them in the session, what's the most important thing they learned, so after this particular session, one fellow said, these are, these are faculty as Bill described, so much emotion in these stories, 
I am grateful to now carry them with me. What stood out to me was the question, are you okay? And I think after a year or so into COVID, I stopped asking people that because what was anyone going to say? There was this assumption that of course they're not okay. No one is okay. And so it kind of fell out of my daily vernacular. Today's session was a good reminder that it's still important to ask and it's still important to listen genuinely to the response. And then I have just one other short uh, quote here. Uh, the reflections were so helpful in normalizing what I feel. So much in common. We see this all the time. I wish I did, I wish we did this more in our clinical work. So just briefly from this strategy, anecdotally, what the themes could be, you know, they're learning, they're developing, hope they're transforming. Um, but some of the themes would be increasing their self-awareness and their awareness and appreciation of others, becoming aware of their own biases, empathy for self and others, understanding others' perspectives, team, di team dynamics. So that's just one very brief taste of, of a narrative. Uh, we have many. <laughs> and so I just made me think about what's been effective for them. You know, how do you get deep engagement, group sharing, individual sharing and growth? So that's it's a wonderful story uh, and a wonderful illustration. Let me say, if, if anyone wants to ask a question, feel free. I see uh, some comments. Uh, and, and we, I want to move on to Corinne Abraham, who has been working with me with the group. We're now into our second group at Emory. Uh, Corinne, do you have uh, some something to share? I just want to say the the um, important, or I guess what has really resonated is the even among colleagues, you know, professionals who've been they're not new, right? They, you know, we have people who have been in leadership positions who are clinical clinicians, educators who, um, you know, who share that they have gained, they gain new perspectives and appreciation of each other. And just even through some of those structured experiential activities where roles are identified and um, new, new insights have been gained. We just this past week had a, an exercise with the disclosure and the identification of how to optimize individuals' team roles where it just doesn't all sit on the shoulders of the attending, so to speak, so that, you know, what is the role of nursing or other people on the team? And, and then, and lastly, just in our last group, we had at least two out of our 10 people um, share that having the opportunity for that deep reflection and sharing and gaining um, new perspective led to kind of like rediscovering what they found that was um, satisfying about their career. You know, everybody, you know, we were concerned about burnout, like Beth said, during COVID, all of this burnout. And so having a, a place, an opportunity to settle and to really listen and lean into and develop new relationships. Um, we had two people take a, a pivot in their career to, to align and to rejuvenate and to rediscover um, what was really fulfilling for them um, and to look for their own wellness. And I think that was really impactful for me um, just to realize that having this space and in this time even for people who are leaders, who are accomplished in their career, the, the necessity of having this type of um, experience 
I, I want to emphasize that because it's not realized a lot of times that creating the so-called safe space is really the essential first step in being able to use deep self-reflection and uh, feedback and uh, getting people to engage in challenging experiential exercises. But we very carefully try to create that, that trusted, safe space. And we find that it's, it's immensely valued. And the, the people that we work with are very good also, as soon as they see the opportunity to help to do that through their supportiveness of each other. Uh, there might have been a question up here. Yeah. Yeah, there is a question, Bill. Um, a couple. Bill, I can address the questions if you like. Thank you, Calvin. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to reemphasize that what Beth and Corinne have described from both Harvard and Emory are also happening at Indiana and at UCSF. And I think that these are universal themes that are happening throughout many, many different narratives throughout many people, it's, it, no matter what their interprofessional background is. And so I think that's, uh, that, that gets at um, Dina's first question about what their identity formation is. In fact, I would, I would almost argue that everybody's discovering a new facet of interprofessional identity, which is as a team member, whereas previously, People are working in silos. Now people are really um, understanding what the impact of real collaboration is. So I think that's it. May, this may be something that um, is furthering um, everyone's conceptualization of what their inter what their professional identity even is. And then the second question, I think, from Karen about uh, relational coordination. Um, I think you can. I think you can hear the themes of shared goals, shared knowledge, and mutual respect all throughout that, um, it, which are, I think, three of the domains of relational coordination all throughout Beth's uh, narratives. And again, those are narratives that are, um, those themes pervade almost all of the narratives that we've, um, that we've collected. And maybe one final thing, um, and then to pass it on to um, Sarah and Walter, is that one of, I think, one of the reasons that this group has uh, these groups developed so um, tightly is because is two reasons. One is we're throwing together groups of interprofessionals um, into the same group, so no more than uh, you know twenty percent of the group is uh, represented by any one profession, and so that automatically brings in um, elements of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging into these groups, and so we're having people. Um, reflect deeply about what is like what is what is it like to be a person in that profession through narratives um being able to uh understand uh what each other is going through and i think that's that's one aspect of it the second aspect of this particular curriculum is that we do um, a couple of uh diversity equity inclusion um curricular modules very near the beginning of the sessions um, in order to have those themes pervade the entire curriculum so that they're, we're constantly revisiting the ideas of um, what it's like, what um, what different people's experiences are like, the, the, the possibilities that microaggressions may occur and how we're 
uh, and how we're um, uh, helping folks metabolize them. Um, all, all of those, all of those concepts kind of uh, are are pervading throughout the curriculum as well. Maybe that's a reasonable handoff to Sarah and Walter, if that's okay with you, Bill. And let me just say one more thing. I want to thank Calvin. That uh, those were very astute uh, comments, but. The essence of the idea here is we can only do this intensive work in a small group, but we're doing these groups over and over. So the number of people that we've trained begins to accumulate at the institutions. And it is because we select people that are leaders and have a lot of potential. It is our vision that these people will go back out and we don't tell them what to do. They've all got responsibilities, but they will go back out and apply this and develop new programs and uh, new, and, you know, and enrich the environment in all sorts of ways. That's essentially what we think we're going to accomplish for the institution culturally. Thank you. Uh, thank you all so much. Hopefully you can hear me um, recovering a little bit of a cold. As anyone who has toddlers knows, tis the season. Um, so I'm just going to share our slides here that Richard and I put together along with Walter and Joe. Um, and Walter and I are in the call representing our, our collaboratory today. Uh, so this is our um, NYU-UCSF collaboratory uh, to advance URIM faculty in academic medicine. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about a recap of what our project aims are, um, how our two institutions have partnered to sort of carry this out and the preliminary information that we're getting from some of our qualitative analysis of the interviews from faculty or participated the last year. Uh, so just as a reminder, the goal of this shared project uh, was to implement and then evaluate the impact of a novel theory-based faculty development leadership program, we'll refer to this as the FLDP, uh, for URIM junior faculty in two different academic medicine contexts, so in NYU and UCSF, um, that I think share a lot in common um, as large academic medical centers, but also have um, slight differences in how we run the programs, as well as the, the culture around DEI and support of URIM faculty. Um, and then the ultimate outcome is to understand uh, what are the components of this program that are most helpful for mentoring and leadership develop among, development among URIM academic medicine faculty. This is our great team at NYU and UCSF. Um, a lot of folks uh, on the NYU side and UCSF side involved in various aspects from curriculum development to delivering the sessions, to the uh, theory behind the sessions, to the qualitative analysis uh, of our interviews. And so just wanna thank everyone who's put in so much effort to this. Uh, the specific aims of our program. So we had sort of four and we've gone through these chronologically and I'll go into a little bit more detail about what each of these has entailed so far. Um, the first aim was really starting at NYU. They had had this program, the FLDP, implemented in the year prior to our collaboratory. Um, and the idea was that in year one, they were going to evaluate the impact of this theory-based program at a non, a majority non-URIM-led uh, academic medical center. So talking to the folks who had gone through this program, who are URIM identified, and to understand what the impact of it was. Um, the second aim was to pilot a version of this at UCSF, which we did in this last year and are continuing in our second year now, and then to examine the impact of the program in a different academic uh, context. 
Um, the third aim was to broadly survey faculty and institutional leaders who participated in the program at both of our institutions um, about their experience, their goals for advancement, uh, their professional challenges, the institutional climate, and the way that the program might have impacted their, their perception of each of those. Uh, and then the final aim um, is to create, uh, we need to come up with a better name for this because registry is never a great name when you're talking about individuals. Um, but I think thinking about a longitudinal cohort uh, of URIM faculty across these two institutions so that we can understand how advancement is occurring um, and what the role of programs such as ours might be on individuals' advancements. Um, so we'll go through specific AIM-1, which relates to the experience uh, of the faculty at NYU. And I'll turn it over to Walter to just talk through the FLDP. And Walter, just let me know when you want me to advance. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. So when we think about the impact of the FLDP, uh, it was very apparent that it served as a place of connection um, and an opportunity for people to build, uh, for UIM faculty in particular, to build community. Um, and it also allowed us to really hone in on the recruitment and retention of URM faculty um, at the institution as a whole. So we are now in our third cohort um, of the program, um, having started in 2020 with our inaugural cohort. Um, and it's been modeled after um, our successful uh, education mission leadership development program, which um, really aims at providing um, sustainable, helping faculty to provide sustainable educational program. And so um, using that model um, was really helpful um, into establishing the program. Um, and as I mentioned, we're in a third cohort. And so um, uh, we are, we've evaluated uh, the first cohort, which we'll talk more about, and then um, our future plans to evaluate the, the future cohorts. Next slide. So um, here are our goals for FLDP. The first goal was to develop strong peer mentor um, and sponsor relationships, which I'll um, talk a little bit more about the sponsorship relationship as it relates to the project. Um, the second goal was to integrate pers um, personal and professional identities into academic medicine, which our uh, previous group just talked a little bit about. Um, and then the third goal was to practice and apply inclusive leadership skills uh, within various professional contexts. Um, and so at the end of the program, um, each group, I'm sorry, each cohort is split up into groups um, and they'll do a pitch session to uh, leadership at the institution um, under the prompt of um, using your unique skill sets and talents, um, we ask that you develop a, a solution to an issue you believe to be addressed um, at NYU Langone. Um, and so over the course of uh, the program, we match them with institutional uh, sponsors who are usually senior and or executive leaders at the institution um, to coach them and mentor, through, you know, help them understand the landscape, the culture, and the different resources to uh, accurately and, and, and effectively um, create a development of, of a pitch. Um, and then they'll do that pitch session at the very last session um, for 10 minutes in front of not only um, the executive leadership at the institution, but also the chairs of the various departments that are represented throughout the cohort. So here is a, a brief snapshot of what a typical uh, session at NYU, um, a year would look like at NYU, um, as well as the entire program. Um, in particular, for the first year, though, you, you'll see the, the format um, changed from hybrid um, or sort of remote to in-person. Um, it was really difficult during the first year because of COVID. Um, that has since um, changed. We are a lot more in-person now 
um, than we were before. And that really does make a big difference in um, people's ability to feel connected uh, to their cohort uh, mates. Um, the first session um, is around diversity and leadership. So we have um, a few faculty who come um, and hold diversity, uh, not necessarily diversity roles, but who represent a variety of identities come and talk about their path to leadership. Um, we have a session on assessing their personal strengths with um, some of our partners in um, HR and org development. Um, we talk about using their professional um, and personal identities, um, their diverse identities as uh, social and cultural capital in the context of their professional um, identity. Um, helping people understand the path to promotion, as well as understanding how to find mentors and manage up as they think about their careers, um, as well as uh, strategies and tools for inclusive leadership. Uh, as many of our faculty have gone on to leadership roles um, and figuring out ways to, to better implement those um, in their particular context of their department or their role. And so you'll see here, as well as those group project uh, milestones, uh, we, we really try to make sure that they have um, at least a few months to really develop a, a strong pitch. Uh, and that in and of itself has been a learning process for some of our faculty because um, depending on how junior they are, um, they may not have had an opportunity to really um, present a project of this magnitude in front of leadership. So um, looking at some of our, uh, our data, so we analyzed data from the inaugural cohort uh, to develop an interview guide um, to assess the impact of the program um, on both the faculty participants as well as the institutional leaders uh, who participated as either panelists, um, sponsors, uh, facilitators, or just um, uh, pitch session participants. Um, you see here 14 of the uh, 16 um, junior faculty were interviewed as well as 13 of the 14 institutional leaders. Um, you'll also see the breakdown of race and gender and as well as um, LGBTQ uh, status and identifying folks. Um, and then we used it, uh, we used a grounded theory approach uh, to help us um, you know, collect and really analyze the data in an iterative, iterative matter. Um, with hopes to uh, deriving um, a theory after we are complete um, the analysis. So thinking about the um, some of the themes that we <laughs> began to see preliminary uh, was that there were some mixed emotions or reactions rather to the curriculum, um, but mostly positive. Um, there was also this resounding uh, notion of the community building, as I mentioned before, it was very much appreciated. Um, a few faculty have you know, even said during the session, like, wow, this is uh, the most uh, black and brown faculty I've seen in one setting at the institution since I've been here for X amount of years. And I think that in and of itself is pretty powerful. Um, and there was also um, lots of comparisons to uh, other similar programs at the institution, like the education mission program that I had mentioned. Um, those programs were housed out of HR and org development, um, and they also allowed participants to um, engage in the sessions during the daytime, whereas our first cohort engaged in the sessions during the evening. And so um, it was, um, you know, some, some uh, perceptions and comments around the importance uh, of the program uh, to the institution um, because folks were found out they were, you know, not found out, but they were realizing they were using their personal time versus institutional time to participate in an institutional program. So there was definitely a lot of comparisons uh, to the other programs and we, we did make some adjustments later on. 
junior faculty's perception of the institution and the landscape uh, also uh, shifted a bit. And then the institutional leaders uh, that we interviewed, many of them were very supportive of the program, um, though uh, we found that they were less clear in their dedication to providing more resources for the program, um, which is something that I think we'll have to um, dive deeper into. So some outcomes of that first cohort, um, as I mentioned, um, at least half of the, the cohort members were promoted into an administrative leadership roles, such as uh, chief of different departments. Um, we have new uh, vice associate and vice and associate chairs or directors of DEI in the academic departments um, as well. Um, and then other various leadership roles. And then um, about half has also, have also been promoted in faculty rank. Um, most being promoted from assistant into associate professor. I'll turn it back over to Sarah. Thanks, Walter. Um, I'm gonna talk through the implementation of this theory-based program at UCSF. Um, so to give a little bit of a background as to who our cohort is, because it differs slightly from UCSF's, co uh, pardon me, uh, NYU's cohort, um, so we're conducting this through our Latinx Center of Excellence, which houses a faculty development program for UIM faculty that's called Fuego. Um, like most things, there is a fun acronym behind that name. Um, Fuego was created to pair with a um, monetary faculty award called the UCSF Watson Faculty Scholarship. Um, so the way that it works is that the Watson Faculty Scholarship offers career development awards of $75,000 annually for three years, and they're awarded to eight faculty across UCSF departments each year, and I think it's in its sixth or seventh year um, of funding. The Fuego program was created to partner with it and offer professional development um, and career development and mentoring sessions for those folks who had already been nominated for selected and received a Watson scholarship. Um, so it's slightly different in that there is a monetary component for people who are um, selected for Watsons. And so there's already sort of an institutional awareness of these faculty and departmental support that is required for their, you know, their chairs and chiefs or the people who nominate them for the Watson scholarship. So there's already some component of connection to and investment from institutional leadership. Um, and then what we did is that this is a this is a fifth year of Fuego running overall. Um, but in this past year, 2021, 2022, it was the first year that we really integrated with NYU and applied this um, theory-based FLDP curriculum for our faculty participants. So we're in the fifth year overall, but the second year um, partnering with NYU and the FLDP type curriculum. Uh, the overall goal of the Fuego program, our faculty development program, uh, is to provide mentorship, advising, career development for UCSF faculty who've been awarded this Dean's Diversity Fund or John uh, A. Watson Faculty Scholarship. Um, we want to develop a community amongst URIM faculty, as, as Walter was alluding to, um, and then also to cultivate leadership skills in folks in hopes that they will go on to, to you know, affect the larger environment within their, within their departments and institution. Uh, this is a timeline of our curriculum, and you'll see a lot of similarities, um, slightly different names, but uh, very similar curricula intentionally to what we're doing at NYU. Um, so we have everybody sort of come in for a welcome reception in October. Um, in the very beginning session, we have a panel of leaders as well as former Watson scholars, and it's sort of a, a practical Q&A of, all right, what does the scholarship mean? How do we apply our funds? Um, there's not a lot of... Uh, 
explanation from the university or from chairs as to how they're supposed to apply this to their own personal career development. Uh, so kind of asking those uh, unspoken questions and expectations. We similarly have a session on uh, assessing your strengths and developing an individual development plan. And we split those into folks who are in a medical education tract and people who are in a more clinical research tract and have mentors for each of those. Um, we then have a session on gauging and considering opportunities. And that, that kind of aligns with the diversity as cultural capital. How do you recognize what you have to offer and also learn how to say no when more is being asked of you than is helpful for your own career. Uh, we similarly have a session on academic promotion, um, mentoring and being mentored and networking within the institution, a session on inclusive leadership. Um, and then we wrap up with a session on personal finances for academics. So more thinking of some of the um, uh, intangible concepts that may not be passed down to faculty who are more likely to be first generation in medicine. Um, and then the final session is we don't we actually don't have a group project um, because each of these folks has been selected to sort of get the Watson scholarship to work on their own um, professional interests. But we do have a year a year end reflection on uh, the program and on their first year receiving the funds. And then, as Walter said, we've been able to shift all of this to predominantly in person. And then we offer a Zoom options for people who, for instance, have to get to clinic or something right afterwards. Uh, and then to go through sort of what we found and Walter spoke to this a little bit. Um, but we've started analysis. Uh, so we we transcribed, sent out, de-identified, and are now um, and went through a preliminary coding um, in deduce to come up with some of our themes that we're going to then use to analyze the rest of the transcripts. Um, but some of the domains that we used and the questions that we asked uh, were thinking about the inclusiveness of the environment for URIM faculty, um, the valuing of who you are, a sense of belonging your satisfaction with your own professional network, um, where you are in terms of identifying mentors, sponsors, um, your knowledge about the promotion process, and then the availability of leadership roles for you personally. Um, and some of the things that we've seen, I, I group these into on the left here are sort of what I would think of as more positive themes that have come up. And on the right are sort of more negative based themes or themes that I think express common challenges for our participants. Um, but these are the preliminary themes we're using to analyze each of the transcripts. Um, and so some of the positive things that came out of their experience was uh, really access to opportunity, a huge, huge emphasis on the community building and shared identity part of it. As Walter said, I think having a space for people to gather um, around shared social identities of being a URIM faculty um, was, was a huge part for everyone who we interviewed. Uh, and then some of it and being able to actually develop core skills, framing skills, um, learning about institutional support, uh, skill building towards developing a leadership role or making a pitch in the sense of NYU's curriculum. Um, and then a lot of the strengths, uh, mentorship, sponsorship, and institutional support were some of the main themes that came out. Um, and then I think some of the other shared challenges included this um, feelings of exclusion and isolation at a majority non-URIM institute, uh, fear of retaliation, need for, I think one of the things that came out was like, this program is great, and we need more. Um, you know, we need we need to continue this kind of support and and development that we've been getting. Um, need for continued support, continued allyship, uh, and then reflections on imposter syndrome and the minority tax that occur um, when people are are one of the few of their own social identities. Um, and then I'll just let you all reflect on these. There's a lot of words here, but I think some of the sample quotes. Um, we're really speaking to the importance of having a cohort to be able to bounce ideas off of, 
um, a place where you could bring your challenges and not start at the basement level of having to explain the context behind why you're having these challenges, but just bring them to a place where there's sort of a shared identity and then you can talk about the challenges themselves. Um, and that learning that these skills can be learned and lead to opportunities for you in academic medicine. Uh, some of the lessons that we've learned so far, um, there is a deep desire for discussion and connection. And I wonder if this is even more so in the setting of, you know, the past three years of pandemic isolation. Um, so really the importance of intentional community building. Um, pros and cons of virtual versus in-person. I think everyone's dealt with that in their programming the last several years. Um, the benefits creating a safe space. Um, and then I think we are getting at this in the interview guide, the the difference between NYU and, uh, and UCSF's programming and wondering about the financial support um, versus time support to attend. Uh, and then I think a lot of things around inclusive leadership and individual um, development plans, and, and we've shared content between our two institutions. And I think that's been a growth opportunity for, for our curriculums. Uh, and then just to speak briefly, this is the part that is still sort of most in process in creating the, the longitudinal cohort. Um, we are collecting CVs at the point of entry into the curriculum and then following up in year one and year two. Um, I think uh, Richard is further furthest on in this with Walter at NYU um, and thinking that it's been really challenging to be able to do this because of the protected status of people's social identities. So creating a, a so-called registry for um, people from a protected identity has been really challenging. And so they're actually doing it through the education for educators, which is a larger educators professional development portfolio um, and hoping to follow people through that. The challenges, um, I think at NYU had encountered slightly more of these um, and only because this work had been done prior to us at uh, UCSF, but uh, IRB and projects that deal with people from URM identities and sort of the challenges of the sensitive information there. Um, the desire to avoid burdening URAM faculty we're trying to support. We don't want to make this feel like this is something additional you need to do to be good enough or to reach a level uh, that we assume other faculty who are not underrepresented might already have. So really wanting to do a strengths-based model and not a deficit-based approach to this. Um, the fragility around some institutional leadership and the resistance to change, as Walter spoke to, a lot of sentiments of, we're so great you're doing this, but then when push comes to shove, into, okay, well, what is gonna change in order to support us? Um, a little bit more resistance there. Um, and then we've actually had, uh, you know, really great collaboration um, and dynamics on our research team between our two, but I think there's been some challenges um, in Tiffany who originated this group and then now is at a different institution. There's some friction there, uh, I think from NYU in, in still allowing her collaboration um, since she moved on to another institution. So just some fragility we're trying to navigate. And then, uh, our next step, so NYU is currently evaluating last, uh, this year's cohort um, and the need to adjust. Uh, same thing for us. We're, we're thinking through, we'll do the same sort of uh, interview with the cohort that's currently participating. Um, and then I think one of the future things we're hoping to do is create a shared networking opportunity between our two programs uh, virtually so that our faculty can improve their cross-institutional uh, mentorship and sponsorship network. Um, and I will wrap up there and provide some time for questions. I saw a few questions um, that I think we can we can answer. Um, one of the questions was around uh, the different departments that are represented and if it was um, just uh, medicine or also some um, interprofessional. Um, it is on, the, uh, on both sides, I believe it is just medicine. 
um, though the it, it is a good variety of um, specialties within uh, within the physicians uh, as well. There was a question on the um, the need to um, so the question is we also need to for a sustainable plan to provide the best opportunity for impact on culture something we are committed to. Um, both teams have built communities of practice. How might we describe the power of this? Um, I think that's a, a really good question um, that we'll, we'll probably continue to think about how to, um, at least for the FLDP program, how, how do we describe uh, the power of that aside from community building? I think it's something that we can continue to think about. I'm not sure about the first program though. Yeah, I think one of the, just anecdotally speaking, one of the surprising things is that despite the fact that faculty are from very, very different clinical practices, um, there is the shared identity and shared sense of support um, and shared community of practice. So even though you may never intersect in the clinical world, um, there's sort of a social identity, professional identity overlap world um, that I think people find a lot of uh, solace in. Um, through the program. So I think it's it's going to be a challenge to think how, how can you express that in a quantitative way? <laughs> if I could jump in there, I th one of the findings that you found at uh, NYU was that a lot of people are acceding to leadership positions. And one of the things that has happened in our program in the past, in prior iterations, similar, is that people who have gone through a humanistic teaching fellowship type of program then get leadership positions and then they're be able, then they're able to spread the word uh, more effectively uh, you know i'll say for a, a great example for us is that uh we had a cohort of interprofessional an uh, interprofessional group about four five four years ago where one of the participants was a physical therapist who then became department chair of the physical ther therapy department and in the current two cohorts we had we, we had three physical therapists in the last cohort and we had six apply to the current cohort. They're clearly doing something right in that department. And so the, the, the idea that we can populate um, uh, concepts like this, um, uh, identities to be represented in leadership, I think that's, I think that's hugely promising. Yeah, and to speak to the, um, one of the last comments there um, in the financial support and the difference in financial support, I think, one of the things we're hoping to show in order to persuade NYU um, to have a financial component to this too, is just that it's not, neither are, both are necessary, neither are sufficient on their own. Um, so I think one of the one of the reasons that Fuego was created is because the School of Medicine had started with the financial support um, and then didn't really anticipate that there would be a shared identity and a value to professional development support for, for uh, scholarship recipients. And then I think NYU sort of came from the opposite approach where they had the professional development and cohort support, um, but don't yet have the financial support. And so we have a question in there for um, Fuego participants to reflect on what is the added value of the financial component? What is the added value of the professional development component to kind of persuade leadership that both are necessary? I, I think I also wonder about within the School of Medicine, right? So the, the scholarship means that your chair doesn't have to come up with money. At our institution, there are chairs who have put a fair amount of money behind uh, development of our URIM faculty. And there's chairs who have prioritized that much lower. Um, and so I don't know if it has to come centrally or if we need to educate our leadership. 
that this is a key thing. If we really want to meet the diversity and inclusion needs of our patients, that we need to start addressing it in our faculty. That's been a development in how we've provided the, how the School of Medicine has provided the monetary funds is that there started to be a uh, criteria that there be some matching or plan for continuation of support after the initial three years from the department. And so um, hearing about the department's support in their personal career and then how they continue, plan to continue that support after the three years of essentially seed funding um, is par part of how we select recipients. And so I, I agree, I don't think it has to come centrally, but there should be some intentional component about how does the department invest in this individual. And while this may be an entirely different project, I wonder how you could use some of these leadership sessions to invite our trainees, the residents and medical students who are from underrepresented pro, uh, um, populations to, to see, <laughs> to both identify who's out there, who's seeking leadership and um, what they're working on. It might be a really interesting way to not make it such a minority tax because they're already involved in the program. We've actually developed a, um, a house staff program that was modeled after FLDP. Um, it's in its second year um, now. And so that's been really helpful to, to make those connections. Um, and we've had, um, you know, voluntarily, uh, many people from the FLDP program come and speak to the house staff and share their experiences and share the ways that um, and the ways in which they have grown from the program as well. Um, so that is that is a that's something that we are definitely um, taking into taking into consideration and working on right now. I would say one of the one of the it's not necessarily um, a challenge um, for the program per se, but um, I think our first two cohorts, for, particularly at, uh, at NYU, we've had about 16 people in each cohort. Um, but as you know, the the number of people we have in the cohort increases, the number of available participants uh, who identify as you or I am at the junior level um, is getting smaller and smaller. And so um, that is something we're thinking about now: is how do we um, account for that and 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 um, and think about like the recruitment of the program as well as the recruitment at the institution at large. Mm -hmm.